You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. If you get a lot of political news from America, when I tell you our electoral map is changing this year, your stomach probably sinks. In America, redrawing electoral maps are partisan nightmares. Fights over territory designed to pluck votes strategically and put them in columns that are beneficial to whomever's doing the drawing. And it always ends up in court. In many ways, Canadian politics has recently come to resemble some of the madness to the south of us. But not, at least, in this. The redrawing of Canada's map for federal elections is done every decade, is done mostly quietly and without fuss, and with a minimum, if not zero, of partisan bickering. But that doesn't mean the new map won't change anything. From new seats to new electoral boundaries, the changes made to this map can have implications coast to coast. And with federal politics as incendiary as they've been in quite some time right now, elections may get even closer, which would make these new seats and these new boundaries potential game changers. So what's changing? Who might it benefit? And uh, who draws these maps and how? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Eric Grenier is a longtime political and polling analyst, previously for CBC, but now as the founder of The Writ, which you can find on Substack, and The Writ Podcast, which you can find, well, you know, wherever you get this podcast. Hey, Eric. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The first thing I want to ask you is, when does Canada get a new federal electoral map? How often does it happen? Well, it happens every 10 years. Uh, so this is something that, you know, doesn't happen uh, every every election or two. And we won't actually have the new map in place for an election that takes place until after the spring of 2024, because it's such a long process uh, that Elections Canada has to get ready for it. Uh, so if an election happened tomorrow, we would use the map that we currently have. But uh, if the election goes ahead as planned in 2025, then we would have this new electoral map in place. You just mentioned it's a long process. Uh, Why is it done? And who does it? What exactly do they do? Well, it's done because the population is always changing, right? So the electoral map that we use in one election after a decade, it starts to get out of date. Uh, The population has shifted so much. People are moving around. Some ridings get their uh, population increased so much that they are significantly larger than some other ridings. It just is no longer fair. So there has to be a new map that is redrawn. So how this is done, this is done in a nonpartisan way. In each province, three commissioners are appointed. These are usually uh, a judge and then usually some political scientists or demographers, people like that. And then they took a look at the map and they come forward with some proposals. And then it goes through a process of public hearings. MPs get a chance to weigh in. And then finally, we get a new map that gets put into place. And that's the new map that we use in elections that are held over the subsequent decade. So how are those new seats determined? Is it simply a matter of just like, where have people moved and how many people live there now? Like, is there something beyond math here that these people will take into account? Math is where it all starts. First of all, every decade, a number of seats has to be recalculated. Now, that is a complicated formula that is in legislation that is based on how much the population has grown over the last 10 years, but also takes into account whether a province has 
a number of seats already. There's a clause that's been in there for over a century that PI, for example, can't have fewer seats in the House of Commons than it does in the Senate. And it has four in the Senate, so it has four in the House of Commons. And for that reason, PI is grossly overrepresented in the uh, House of Commons. So there are those other uh, considerations that are put into place. But then eventually, there's a number of ridings that are determined for every single province. And then they have to make sure that the map will fit that number. It is usually just based on population, but they take into account a lot of other things because they don't just want to take sort of a mathematician's eye to it, just cutting across boundaries and communities just for the sake of numbers. They try to get them within a ballpark range of population and ensure that at least you have communities of interest that are stuck together. So you don't want to split apart a town if you don't have to, uh, that you know minority communities might be represented in uh single ridings that rather than spread out across a number of them. So they take these other considerations into account, not just the numbers, but the numbers are the most important thing because the goal is to get every riding within a certain amount of the population so that everybody has roughly equal representation in the House of Commons. Typically, when these maps are redrawn, how much do they change things? And and have there been you know notable changes when more seats than typically were handed out? Uh, have there been times when almost nothing changed? And, and what should we expect this time? Yeah, there are some times when it changes a lot. The last redistribution we had uh, 10 years ago was a big change. The House went from 308 seats to 338. So that was 30 extra seats that were added to the map. And that required a lot of rejigging of the electoral map. This time, there's only five seats being added. So it's not as big of a change. Some provinces are having very few changes. Other provinces, though, the commissioners are, are seeing that because of, you know, for example, a lot of people moving outside of Toronto, for example, so Toronto not increasing in population as much as some other parts of Ontario, that they needed to redrop the map pretty significantly. So in some provinces, we've seen that the, the map is hardly changing, and in others, they are some pretty significant changes. Ontario is one of those where there's some big changes, BC. So this map, I wouldn't say is one of the more radical changes that we've seen over the last few decades, but certainly there are some parts of the country where the map's going to look a lot different than what it was uh, when it was first used in the 2015 election. I want to get into specifically where that will change. But first, you know, you mentioned it's a long process and this new map won't be ready before 2024. Where exactly are we in the process now and what is still yet to happen? So the process is pretty close to the finish uh, because what happened at first was that the commissioners come out with a report and then they go for public hearings. And that was a uh, when individual citizens could come forward at these hearings that were held throughout uh, the provinces. There were some virtual hearings as well. People could give their feedback. They could make written submissions. And then the commissioners took all that back. They rejig their own proposals based on that feedback, and then they came forward with another proposal, the final proposal, and that's where things currently stand. So the final proposal has been put forward by the commissioners for every single province, and the last step before it actually just gets approved and the House votes for it to go ahead as the new map is that MPs get a chance to raise their objections. In a few provinces already, Newfoundland, Labrador, and PEI, the MPs have signed off on the proposals, so those are just going to go ahead. But in the other provinces, that's the next step that we're waiting for, that MPs will have the, their chance to have a final sort of feedback session. But what's really interesting about our system and why it's different from, say, the United States, is that once the MPs make their objections, 
The commissioners can take their feedback or they can reject it. It's the commissioners who in the end get to decide. Politics are taken out of it, although there are a lot of politics in it because we do hear MPs, uh, particularly if they see that their riding is changing a lot and it might impact their chances of getting reelected. They tend to have more objections than MPs who are not seeing as many changes to their ridings. Well, you kind of just addressed this question, but to be a little more specific about it, the House still needs to approve this map. It's good that the Commission can reject uh, any feedback that it deems as political, but is the process still vulnerable to the final level of approval? And we've seen a lot of political norms come crashing down lately. How possible is it here? Uh, It's not really that possible. It's always possible that the MPs could be particularly persuasive, I suppose, for the commissioners. But we've seen in the past that commissioners are are pretty protective of these proposals. For them, they've been working on them for a long time. So you can almost imagine that they're little pet projects. Uh, And having MPs uh, make their objections for a second time, because the MPs do have the ability to take part in the public hearings just like everybody else, it doesn't always work out very well because... Let's face it, there is a little bit of some political transparency, or I should say that their motives are a little bit politically transparent sometimes. Right. So often it it can be more that they'll be more willing to change, for example, the name of a riding, uh, because for them that might not matter as much. But when it comes to making changes, the MPs' objections have to be really, really strong for the commissioners to go back on their decision. I'd say that our system, at least at the federal level, partisanship is really not much of it. Uh, It's... When there are complaints, it's usually that the commissioners are taking too objective of a view, that they're not taking into account people's communities and things like that, rather than an idea that it's it's politically motivated. Uh, So at least here in Canada, I I feel that our system is pretty immune to that kind of consideration, that that political influence. But it is largely because that our commissioners uh, have proven themselves to be pretty immune to that partisan influence. It is so nice to hear that about a political institution these days. It, it, it does make for a change, yeah, yeah. But it is one of the things that works well here. And, you know, there are certainly some complaints about whether the system that we use in our elections to begin with is fair. You know, that, you know, if you don't win the riding, then all those votes don't count, that kind of thing. But in terms of the actual boundaries, it, it's not, we don't have gerrymandering here as, as it is in the United States. Before we talk about the boundaries, let's just drill down on the five new seats you mentioned. Uh, where are they and and who might they benefit or is it too early to say that? Well, the five extra seats that are being added, uh, there's one in British Columbia, there's one in Ontario, and there's three in Alberta. All the other provinces are getting the same amount of seats. Because of how the ridings are redrawn, sometimes, you know, you can quote unquote have a new riding because it doesn't really look like old ridings. But in terms of these extra ridings, they're probably going to benefit the Conservatives because three extra seats for Alberta is probably going to be three extra seats for the Conservatives, just just the way it is with how uh, voting patterns are there. Right. The extra seat in Ontario, the extra seat in British Columbia, that's a little harder to say. But when you're looking at which province is getting the most seats, the extra seats, if it's Alberta, it's probably good news for the Conservatives. And in terms of the new maps, I know we can't go riding by riding, but in general, as you're looking at them as someone who's really familiar with the previous map, can you give me a couple of examples of where those changes might flip seats? Yeah, there's a few parts of the country where the changes will 
make one party more likely to win it next time than they did last time. Of course, you know, we all start at zero when the voting's counted. So, you know, it's not just the geography that's going to determine the outcome. But there's a couple of writings or a couple of places I'd look to. One of the most emblematic, I'd say, of of these challenges that the commissioners have to make is a writing in northern Saskatchewan. This is Desnathay, Mississippi, Churchill River. Uh, So this is a writing that takes up half of Saskatchewan. The northern 50% is this one riding because there's so few people who live up there. It's such a big riding that the commissioners wanted to shrink it a little to make it a little bit easier to represent so that the MP can travel around it a little bit more easily and wanted to keep together the indigenous population in northern Saskatchewan that makes up really the majority. So one of the changes that they proposed to make because of other changes that were required in southern Saskatchewan was that they're removing a portion of the riding that wasn't as indigenous as the rest of the riding. This portion of the riding was also the part that voted for the conservatives very strongly. So because they made this change to make the riding a little bit smaller, a little bit more indigenous uh, focused, the riding is going to be very, very tough for the conservatives to win. They've won it in the last two elections. It's been relatively close. The next election, it just seems almost impossible that the conservatives could hold on to the seat because the part of the riding that was their strongest is now part of a different riding. So it shows how the decisions that have to be made based on population, based on communities, can have a political impact. Another one would be not a riding in particular, but Toronto. Toronto is 25 ridings. It is losing a riding because, as I said, it didn't grow as fast as the outlying areas in Toronto. So Toronto is now going to have 24 ridings. The Liberals have won all 25 ridings in Toronto in the last three elections. So even if they sweep Toronto again, they're going to win one fewer seat. Uh, So that's an example of when you move the ridings around the province rather than creating new ridings, it can have an impact as well. So the Liberals are going to be losing at least one seat in Toronto. It doesn't mean they won't win the new riding that's being created in the GTA, but those Toronto area ridings, uh, they lost one of them. As you look at the map as a whole... I know everybody's starting at zero, and uh, Lord knows there's probably 12 scandals between now and the next election. But who would you say the changes favor, taken as a whole? I think taken as a whole, it does seem to favor the Conservatives because, uh, as I said, with a few extra ridings being added to Alberta, that pads their count there. Uh, There's a riding that's probably going to be created in in the BC interior. That's another area that tends to be more conservative. In Ontario, the extra riding is going more into central Ontario, so that's an area that is probably going to be uh, friendly for the Conservatives, but not necessarily. Uh, So I think that that is likely to be uh, the outcome in terms of who starts out uh, a little bit further ahead than they did last time. I try to think about it as, you know, runners on a race course, right? They still have to get to the finish line, but if someone is starting out a little bit further ahead than the others, then they have an advantage. The Liberals would have been starting out further ahead than the others because they already had the most seats. But now that the Conservatives will be in a little bit of a better position, on the map, they're going to be a little bit closer. So so their starting point is a little bit closer to the finish line than it was uh, in 2021. If you take a look at the changes and the potential they could give the Conservative Party, how often, if you look at it as a race, does that extra few feet make the difference? You know, we're talking about a few seats, um, a few ridings changed. How often is an election close enough that this level of change can make a real impact? It's pretty rare, right? Because we're talking about right now five extra seats. And if we're looking at the map as a whole, maybe you could say that maybe the Conservatives are a a half dozen seats or so uh, ahead of where they were last time. If the election is coming down to just six seats, 
it's not coming down to the map. It's coming down to a lot of factors that are happening across the country in terms of politics, in terms of local races. Uh, so, you know, the, the changes of the map is not really something that decides uh, an election or not. It, it has a huge impact on local races. It has a huge impact on the political careers of MPs and candidates, uh, which is why they care about it so much. And, you know, for the, some of the communities involved, it does make a big difference because right now, you know, you might be, for example, if you're in Nova Scotia, you might be living on the mainland and your riding encompasses just a portion of the mainland. But one of the changes they've made is now that you, if you live in Anaganish, you're right now part of the Cape Breton riding. That might make a little bit of a difference in your life in terms of who your MP is and who you know and and that kind of thing. But in terms of deciding the outcome of the election or not, I, this would probably be you know 20th on the list in terms of what's going to have real impact. It has a huge impact for some individuals, but in terms of the overall outcome, it would have to be super, super, super close for the electoral map to have been the deciding factor. Have we heard from or have you talked to any of the party officials about this map? And if you are one of those people working on a campaign or getting ready for a potential future campaign, what do you do with this information? We have heard some from some MPs who are objecting to some of the changes, uh, which is really what happens every 10 years. Every 10 years, MPs who see that their uh, situation is going to be worse next time raise some objections question the process, wonder why there wasn't an, a more feedback. And that's nothing new. And we're seeing that kind of thing around this time as well. There's a few MPs who their noses are out of joint because they might have a harder time keeping their job in the next election. Uh, so that's nothing new. I would Nothing in terms of overall concerns that this map is, is somehow uh, unfair or that it's going to change the election in any significant way. Because of the changes being so relatively small compared to the past one where there was 30 seats that were added, uh, I don't think too many you know, politicos are all that worried about it. But in terms of if you're trying to plan for the next election, this makes a big difference. Because if you are someone who runs a campaign in a local riding, you know, you know what parts of your riding are the places that you need to make sure your vote comes out. You know which places are the places where you don't need to put much effort in because there's not people that are going to vote for you there. And now you might need to add whole new neighborhoods to your riding that you have never canvassed before. You've never knocked on those doors that the voters there don't know the MP. They don't know the candidate. So you can't take them for granted in the same way that you could have in previous elections. You know, if uh, a riding next door voted for a fellow, uh, an MP from your party, you don't really know exactly if the, those votes were for that party or for that MP. So you can't assume that that party you're riding is now going to be really strong for your guy uh, because they were, they were always on the red team or whatever. And so there's those kinds of considerations that need to be taken into account at the local level. At the national level, things like that, probably not a top of mind concern for uh, strategists. Eric, thank you for this. It's a fascinating deep dive into something uh, I certainly didn't know much about. I want to ask you one last bonus question, maybe not related to this map, but you mentioned it won't be ready until 2024. Theoretically, at least, we're not supposed to have an election before then based on the supply and confidence agreement. What do you think? Are we going to be using the old map or the new one next time Canadians go to the polls? Uh, if I had to put some money on it, I'd say that we're going to be using the new map. I'm not someone who thinks we're going to the election, an election campaign this year, but uh, you know what? When I look at where each of the parties are, I think they have lots of reasons to wait. And it's a bad idea for a lot of them to decide to go to an election campaign. But bad ideas has never stopped, you know, political parties from making some decisions before. So I won't rule it out that they will fumble their way into an election in 2023. But my view is that we'll probably be using the new map at some point in 2024 or 2025. Bad ideas make for great news coverage anyway. Thank you so much, Eric. All right. Thank you. 
Eric Grenier is the creator, founder, reporter, columnist, analyst, whatever you want to call him, at The Writ. Go and check it out on Substack. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. We don't have a Substack yet. Maybe one day. You can find us at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us anytime. Hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. And you can call us, 416-935-5935. I want to thank you for all your goose stories. We got like five stories of goose encounters, and they're amazing, and I appreciate them. They're all too long to read on the air, but keep up the good fight, and don't let the geese get you down. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.